There we go. Thanks. So uh, I asked this question of the teenagers a few uh, weeks ago. It was maybe a month, six weeks ago. What's the best gift you've ever given? Yes, thank you. I messed that up in the first service. What's the best gift you've ever given? And I've written that down in your, uh, in, in your notes this morning. Oh, by the way, I almost forgot. That website that I pointed you to earlier, if you'll take your phone out again, I know, what is this? He keeps telling us to take our phone out. If you take your phone out again and go back to our homepage, you, know, you got the big connect with us button there, and if you swipe over a couple times, you'll see one that says take message notes. So why would I want to take message notes on my phone instead of taking message notes on paper? I mean, the paper is useful, right? Because I can take notes on the paper, I can put it on my nightstand at home, maybe I can refer back to it later on in the week. It's kind of useful, yes, I admit that. But here's what you can do with these. You can take message notes, you can fill in all the blanks, you can add your own notes to it with the little button that says add notes. You can add your own notes to anything that I happen to say. Whatever God says to you or says to you through you, whatever, you can add your own notes to that. And then when we get all the way to the bottom of the notes, you'll notice there's a place where you can put in your email address and press the button that says email my notes and then you will get all of the notes from this morning including what I've written and you've typed, you'll get it all emailed to your inbox. Why in the world would you want that? Because three years from now, when somebody comes to you and says, hey, will you teach a middle school girls class about 1 Corinthians 13? What are you going to do? Well, what you could do is you could pull up your email program, and I remember that there was a lesson taught, there was a sermon given, a message, a talk, whatever, given about 1 Corinthians 13. Um, I don't remember where it was. I don't remember who gave it. I don't remember the date. I don't remember any of that stuff. But if it's sitting in your email, you don't have to remember because you have a search box in your email and you can type in 1 Corinthians 13 and you know what's going to pop up? Your notes from this message. That's why you might want to do it that way. So, no, I'm not going to discourage you from using your phone. I'm going to encourage you to use your phone the right way this morning. You can also do the same thing on your iPad, or if you're insane, an insane person like me, you can whip out a computer and do it. That's how I usually do it on Sunday mornings. So, please, feel free to take out your phone and follow along. So, back to our question. What's the best gift you have ever given somebody else? I asked that question of the students about six weeks ago, we were talking about Christmas at the time. We were getting up to the, the Christmas week, and we were in the Christmas season, so we were speaking about gift giving and how important it is. And I asked them, what's the best gift you've ever given? And I got this answer, for one, going sledding with my family instead of going to one of my friend's houses. Okay, I guess that's the gift of time, right? That's one that we ask for a lot. I think my, uh, as uh, parents... Uh, grandparents, the gift of time becomes really, really important. So yeah, that's a good gift. What about this one? The stuff I used to steal from my brother and give back to him for Christmas. The person who answered that is sitting in this room, by the way, on the front row in the second seat right over here. But I'm not going to call names. I'm not going to call names. But she is the one doing this. The best gift she ever gave was the stuff she used to steal from her brother and give back to him. That's priceless. That's awesome. 
the, the best, maybe the best thing about that is uh, what, what is implied in this is that he didn't know the difference, apparently. So. And, then, and then somebody answered this one, Pokemon cards in a white clothing box, which I thought was, that's kind of cool. And you might think that it was a teenager who said that, but it wasn't. I don't know how many of you know him. It was Mark Daniel, and the Pokemon cards were given to Drew right there on camera. It was great. And he gave them in a white clothing box because Drew really wanted this thing, and Mark was, you know, faking him out with the, oh, I got a sweater, and he'll put it, oh, it's a, what is Charizard? I don't know. Is that what it was? Oh, my word. How did I remember that? Wow. That's, I'm impressed. Okay. Now, I, I put that in your notes because I really want you to think about it. What's the best gift you've ever given? Think about it for just a second. Huh? Um, what about the best gift you've ever received? What's the best gift you've ever received? I asked that same question on a different week. I didn't put their answers on the screen, but I think if you think about it for a moment, what's the best gift you've ever received? You might come up with an answer like a car. That's a pretty cool, pretty cool gift, right? A car. Some of you got cars when you turned 16. Not my kids, but some of you did when you turned 16, maybe. <laughs> okay. So I knew, I knew people who did that to their children, I mean for their children, Gave them cars when they turned 16. What about a, what about a trip? I, this, this church sent me with Pastor Lynn last summer to the island of Cyprus in the Mediterranean, and it was amazing. I had such an awesome time. Almost got blown up. It was incredible. <laughs> I mean, it was lit like for real. <laughs> that trip was awesome. And uh, years ago, like 15 years ago, I served a church in Fordyce, Arkansas. If you know where that is, I'm sorry. Fordyce, Arkansas, and it's, it's a great town, and I love the people there. And they were so generous. They sent me to Israel. At the time, I was in seminary at uh, Missionary Baptist Seminary in Little Rock, and our Hebrew professor w got a trip up for all the students and faculty who wanted to go. And because I was a student at the time, they encouraged the church to send me, and so they did, and that was the trip of a lifetime. I had always wanted to go. I would go back in a heartbeat, such a profoundly moving trip, because you'll never read the Bible the same way after you've been to Israel, because all those places that you read about now, you have that mental picture, you know, of what they actually must have looked like. So a trip, that's one of the best gifts I've ever been given. What about your spouse? Maybe you stood at an altar one day, and the preacher said something like, who gives this woman to be married to this man? Do they still do that sometimes? Or is it the other way around now? I don't know. I can't keep track. And so the thing to say is her mother and I, I guess. I've done, I haven't, yeah? I'm about to have to do that myself. But I'm, but I'm officiating, so I'm going to stand here and say, who gives this woman to be married to this man? And then I'll come down here. And I'll say, her mother and I, and then I'll come back up here and say, are you sure? Um, that'll be sometime later in the fall, we think. So a spouse, that might be one of the best gifts you've ever received. What about uh, children, right? Surely, just not along with me, parents. It will come. It will happen. You will feel that way someday, I promise. It'll happen sometime after they move out. And then 
the last, and then come grandchildren, and that's the reward you get for keeping your children alive long enough. So grandchildren, the best gift maybe that you've ever been given. But I want to submit to you this morning, and I think I, I think I can prove it from the Bible, that the best gift anybody could ever receive is love. And it's, fill in this one of your blanks. And if you're using your phone, you can put that in your phone. The best gift anybody can receive is love. Let's look at some of the most famous verses in all the Bible about love. They are from 1 Corinthians 13. It's very possible that some of you have them hanging, framed somewhere in your house. It's very likely that many of you have these words spoken in your wedding ceremony. They are very, very popular to use in wedding ceremonies. If you didn't plan for them to be there, if you had a preacher who did the ceremony, he likely used them because they are so popular and so, and so powerful too. In fact, this morning as I was getting ready to, to do this, I'm up in the copy room in the hallway where the offices are and I'm making copies on the copy machine and I look over and sitting there on the floor, leaned up against the wall, is this big framed print from 1 Corinthians 13 of these exact verses. I didn't even know it was there. But this is 1 Corinthians 13, beginning in verse 4. It says, Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Wow. Love sounds awesome right? So let me ask you a question this morning. Let me ask you a question as we get started. Do you love? Jesus said, this is the first and greatest commandment. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. Love others as you love yourself. So the question is, do you love? I mean, do you really live the definition of love? Are you patient? Are you kind? Do you celebrate in the blessings of others? Are you humble? Have you died to self? Are you slow to anger? Do you keep no record of wrongs? Do you always protect? Always trust? Always hope? Always persevere? This is what it means to love, the way God intended. So the question remains, do you love? So how about it? Do you love? I want to challenge your conception of what that chapter means though. 1 Corinthians 13, because we get the idea that it's all about romance. We hang the fame, framed print on our wall because it serves as a gentle reminder of how we're supposed to treat our spouse or treat the other people in our family. But let me tell you and convince you this morning in just a few minutes that we have together that when the Apostle Paul wrote down these words, they were written by a guy, by a person, a human being like you and me. That is not what he had in mind. He did not have in mind romantic love. Not, certainly not the way that you and I think of it. The Bible's love chapter is not about romantic love at all. It's about serving others. 
Let, see, what's the, do we have any real estate agents in here? Anybody? Home, sell, no? Okay, we had a few in the first service. Anybody who's ever bought a house, it'll work that way. Anybody who's ever bought a house? Okay, a few people, good, good. All right, so you've gone through that process. You know then what is the first, second, and third rule of buying a home. First, second, and third rule of real estate. What is it? There you go. Yes, not a trick question. Location, location, location. Understanding the Bible is no different. The same rule applies. If you want to understand the Bible, you use the same first, second, and third rule. We just give it a different name to make it sound churchy. We call it context, but it's the, it means the same thing. Where was it written? To whom was it written? Why was it written? Considering all of these things about it. And if you look at, the cha- at this chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, you will notice something strange about it. It falls in between chapter 12 and chapter 14. Right? Yes. Odd, isn't it, how that happens? Chapter 13 comes between chapter 12 and chapter 14. And guess what? Chapter 12 and 14 of 1 Corinthians, not about love. They're about spiritual gifts. So if we want to understand what Paul was talking about in this chapter, we need to understand that it's in the context, it's in the framework of those other two chapters that serve as bookends. See, chapters 12 through 14 of this letter that Paul wrote to a church at Corinth is all one continuous thought. In fact, let's go back and look at chapter 12, just a little bit of it to kind of understand where Paul is coming from. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he wrote, verse 1, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. And uninformed was putting it nicely, how the Corinthian believers really were. You see, the city of Corinth, I looked it up this week. I got on Google Earth, and I thought about showing you a, na- a map of where it is, but then I thought, nah, it's not important. So Corinth is a city in the Mediterranean, and it's on the mouth of an isthmus, which is like a big fat peninsula, and uh, people, sailors in particular, sailors, because this stretch of land where Corinth sits is very narrow, sailors would use that route sailing in one gulf and then staying in Corinth overnight for a night or two and then sailing out the other side, they would use that as passageway so they didn't have to get out in the Mediterranean Sea because it's dangerous out there in the open ocean. They could avoid all that by going through Corinth. So what kind of reputation do sailors have? They have, yeah, good upstanding citizens, right? Because everybody knows what, you know, When they say, hey, you have a sailor's mouth, they mean that you bless others with it. Exactly what they mean. Everybody knows that, right? Well, no, these sailors would sail through uh, to the city of Corinth. They would get this. They would actually pay to have their boats towed over land to the other side, just a few miles. And in that process, they would have to stay in Corinth for a night or two, maybe, And so they did what sailors do. They found a way to spend their nights, people to spend their nights with. And over time, Corinth developed a reputation. It developed a stigma. In fact, there was even a Greek word. You know that the New Testament that we have in our Bible is written in Greek, right? There was even a Greek word, Corinthiazomai, which means 
to behave like a Corinthian. And what do you think that means? It means to behave like a sailor, pretty much. Yeah. Um, I apologize in advance if anybody from our armed services, Navy, or anything like that sees this. Not talking about you. It's talking about the way it used to be. Uh, so, Corinthiazomai, there was even a Greek word for it. Now, Paul is writing to this group of believers who are trying to serve and worship God in a city that has that kind of a stigma attached to it. And like I said, they have lots of issues. And to say that uh, they're uninformed is to put it politely. So Paul writes to them about this thing that he calls spiritual gifts, and we're going to get to what, exactly what that is in just a moment. But moving on in chapter, verse 7, he says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And this is important. He says, some people have special abilities from God to do this or that or the other thing, but what is most important is the reason for which all of these gifts have been given, and that is for the common good, to serve the body in edifying Christ. It's not to exalt any one person who has this gift or that gift or the other. It doesn't matter. It's not about making any body look good. It's about making God in heaven look good by serving each other. What, what, are, what are some of the spiritual gifts that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 12? I'm so glad you asked. Here's a list, some of them. Wisdom, knowledge, faith, eh, those are okay. Healing, now that's cool. Don't you wish that you still had the spiritual gift of healing? I mean, I've seen guys on TV be healed, and this entire side of the room just collapses. Have you seen that guy on TV? He's not as popular as he used to be, but it's impressive. Probably not true, but it's impressive. Then miracles. Yeah, that would be awesome to be able to perform miracles. How amazing would that be? Prophecy, knowing the future, or discernment, being able to understand uh, things, tongues, tongues. Tongues is a really tricky one because there's all different kinds of ideas out there about exactly what tongues is. And for our discussion this morning, it's really not important to talk about what tongues is, but in case you're not familiar with the term, it just means speaking in another language that you haven't studied. All of a sudden, you just know how to do it. And God did that at times in the Bible for very specific purposes. Whether it continues now is a topic for another day. But for now, it's just enough to know what it is. So tongues, interpretation, the interpretation of tongues, those two always go hand in hand, by the way, tongues and the interpretation, and administration. So those are some pretty cool gifts. They almost sound like, I don't know, like superpowers, don't they? Almost sounds like something that Marvel would make a movie about. And so you had people in the Corinthian church who had certain gifts, maybe, hey, maybe you have the gift of faith. It's a cool gift. You believe. That's important. Can't be saved without belief. That's what Scripture says. But maybe somebody else has the gift of healing, and you're stuck thinking, oh, man, I wish I had the gift of healing. That's awesome. I got this bunion on my toe. I can't get rid of it. If I had the gift of healing, whatever. And so you, you look at this other person with a bit of envy. You have gift envy, I guess, because they got this spiritual gift that you think is amazing, and you got this one that eh, doesn't seem to be such a big deal. At the very end of this chapter, Paul writes, earnestly desire the higher gifts. 
all right, he acknowledges there are some gifts that seem to be more spectacular than others, I guess. They seem to be more flamboyant than others. So it's okay to want those. But let me show you a still more excellent way. And unfortunately, I don't know why. I'm sure that I learned once upon a time who it was. But unfortunately, that's where the chapter ends. You need to understand that when the Bible was written, there were no chapters. No chapters, no verses. It was all written down as one continuous thought. But because chapter 12 ends here, we kind of separate it from what's written in chapter 13. But Paul didn't separate it. To him, it was one continuous thought. And this is how he wrote it down. He wrote, earnestly desire... Uh, I skipped ahead. Earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. If I speak with the tongue of men and of angels, but have not love. One continuous thought. So it's okay to want the higher gifts, but let me show you something that's even better than the highest gifts. It's better than miracles. It's better than tongues. It's better than healing. Even better than faith is love. Love is better. Paul wrote in these first verses, love is better than all other gifts. Every one of them. Love is better. How can that be, Paul? How can that be better? And how does that really help me? Come on, practically. How does that really help me? Well, if we keep reading what Paul wrote, we'll see that love is better because it's the purpose of my spiritual gifting. It's the reason why I have gifts at all. It's the reason why God plants gifts in the church is for love and the demonstration of it. But don't take my word for it. Listen to what Paul has to say about it. If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, this is verse 1 of chapter 13, but didn't love others, I would only be a noising gong or a clanging cymbal. We have a few people in here who are in band, and I asked them this morning, I said, how do you guys, what do you think about that? And one of them told me, every day when I go to band, they're always playing the gongs and the cymbals, and it's the most annoying thing in the world. That's what I remember, too, about band. The, sorry if there's any percussionists watching this. A noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, that's another one. And if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge... And if I had such faith that I could move mountains, miracle-working faith, but I didn't love others, I would be nothing. Yikes. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I guess I could boast about it. But if I didn't love, if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Okay, so suppose with me for a moment. Suppose with me... Uh, and the Apostle Paul. Suppose you could speak every language, even Angelion, which has to be what the angels speak, right? Because if you're from Australia, you speak what? No. Well, yeah, you do. Okay. But you speak Australian dialect of English. Taylor is correct. If you're from Canada, what do you speak? Also English. But it's Canadian true that's true it's canadian english and if you're from america what do you speak yeah english gosh that didn't work out well at all did it it's all english 
So, but if you're an angel, obviously you must speak, that's right, English. No, you must speak Angelian, I suppose. Yeah, because, well, sure. And then number two, what if you could see everything? That's prophecy. Even the future. What if you could do that? That would be pretty amazing. It's like a Marvel movie. What if you could understand everything? Because there were a lot of people who wrote stuff in the Bible that even they didn't understand. And they would say that. I wrote this. I'm just recording what I saw. I didn't get it. In fact, there's a really interesting passage in the book of uh, Revelation where John starts to write down something and Jesus says, nope, don't write that. We're going to save that for the end. I've always wondered what that was that he wrote down. I guess I'll I guess I'll know in time. Number four, what if you could know everything? You didn't have to ask any questions. I wish my kids had that, that ability. Ace all their tests. You remember that phase they went through? Why, 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 why? Wouldn't have to deal with that. That would be nice. What if you had mountain-moving faith? Jesus said if you had faith like the grain of mustard seed, you'll be able to say to this mountain, be removed and it will be cast into the sea. That would be pretty amazing. Paul borrows this idea from Jesus and says, if I had faith so I could move mountains. Jesus said it was a good thing. What if I gave away everything that I have, which is nice, but what if I even gave away my one and only life? I mean, I, I have stuff, and even if I gave it away, I could get more stuff, but I only have one life. If I gave that away and I didn't love, then what's the point? Didn't love others. What's the point? By the way, we're still not talking about romantic love. Paul is not saying, if I could do all this stuff, but I never dated anybody. If I could do all this stuff, but I never married anybody. That is not what he's talking about. He's talking about showing God's love to other people. Yeah, that encompasses the closest relationships, like a marriage relationship, but it also includes the casual relationships that we have with people that we see at McDonald's every day, like this guy, or wherever you happen to hang out, the grocery store, whatever, you know, on the golf course, wherever you are. It includes those people as well. Love is better because it's the purpose for every spiritual gift that God gave to the church, including this one. Love is better because it's the proof of my salvation. It's the proof of my salvation. Don't take my word for it again. Let's look at what Paul had to say in the next few verses. He says, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It's not, it does not demand its own way. It's not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. So I want you to do something, this little mental exercise for just a moment. I want you to think, think about the person in this world who knows you best, right? God and Jesus don't count. You have to think about somebody with skin on. Jesus has skin on. You have to think about somebody living right now in this world, the person who knows you best. All right, does everybody have somebody in mind? Got somebody in mind? Just nod your head. Make me feel like, thank you. Thank you, Joe. Everybody have somebody in mind. Okay, good. So here's the test. It's drawn straight from these verses. Would that person say, the person who knows you best, that you are a patient person? 
would that person, the person who knows you best in the world, would they say that you are kind? That you, you're not the jealous type. Neither are you boastful or proud or rude. Always thinking about yourself. Nor are you demanding, because that's no fun, or irritable. And you do a good job of not keeping score of all of their failures. Because we all fail from time to time, don't we? And according to this person who knows you best in the world, you don't celebrate injustice, but instead you, you celebrate what's right in the world. You're always looking for what's right. You never give up. You're always hopeful. You endure through every single circumstance. That's a tough list, isn't it? Isn't that a tough order to fill? A hard act to follow? I mean, who can do all that stuff? Honestly, really, who can do all that stuff? I'm so glad you asked. Let me tell you. Who can do all that stuff? It's somebody who is controlled by the Spirit of God. And people who are controlled, who are indwelt by the Spirit of God, are saved people. And so if you have this stuff in your life, it proves that you are saved. It proves that you are controlled and indwelt by the Spirit of God. That's the only way you can do it. So yeah, it's proof of my salvation. But it's also, as Paul goes on to write, it's also the path to my spiritual maturity. Love is. And still, keep in mind, he's not talking about romantic love. He's not talking about a dating relationship or a marriage relationship. Love, he writes, is the path to my spiritual maturity. You see, prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless, but love will last forever. Now our knowledge is partial and incomplete, and even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. But when the time of perfection comes, when is that going to be? I don't know. But when it comes, whenever that happens to be, when it comes, these partial things, knowledge and tongues and prophecy, these partial things will become useless. When I was, Let me give you an example. Let the Apostle Paul give you an example so to help you understand. When I was a child, when he was a child, he spoke and thought and reasoned like a child. Because that's natural. You're a kid. You do that. When he grew up, when I grew up, I put away childish things. Also natural. Uh, now we see things imperfectly because this is not the time of perfection, the time the perfect has come, like puzzling reflections in a mirror, but then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete because my knowledge is incomplete, but then I will know everything completely just as God knows me completely. These three things will last forever. See, this whole conversation, this whole discourse that he's talking about is about our spiritual maturity, growing up and behaving like the person that God intended us for be. Intended us to be. Three things will last forever faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. And again, unfortunately, I don't know why, chapter 13 ends right there. Chapter 13 ends right after the greatest of these is love. And you have to keep reading into chapter 14 to get to his point. So, considering all of that, let love be your highest goal. These gifts, they're cool, 
Miracles are cool. Tongues are cool. Prophecy is cool. But it shouldn't be your goal. Your goal should be to love everyone like God loves you. Which brings me to my last point. How does God love you? Love is a person who became my Savior. And you won't find that in 1 Corinthians. You'll find that in 1 John. John was one of Jesus' closest followers, one of the big 12, the apostles. He's the guy we're pretty sure was the one the Bible says was leaning on Jesus at the last supper. We know because Leonardo da Vinci painted a picture of them while they were there. He had them pose, he painted the picture, and that's how we know. That's a joke. That did not happen like that. I just want to make sure everybody knows that. Just want to make sure you're still awake, okay? No. Uh, But the Bible does say that one of the disciples leaned on Jesus. It was almost certainly John. And in John's first letter, 1 John, he wrote this, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another. For love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. God showed how much He loved us by sending His only Son into the world so that we might have eternal life through Him. This is real love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as a sacrifice for our sins. Love is a person who became my Savior. And without the influence of God in my life, which is accomplished through the redeeming act of what Jesus did, that's only possible because of what Jesus did. Without that, I could never know love. I couldn't show love to anybody, much less to my wife, to my kids, to my parents, to my sibling, nothing. I couldn't show love to anybody without God in my life. So this morning... We're going to play a song in just a minute. I'm going to stand down here for just a second as we play the song. And I'm going to stand here so that you have a place to go. If the Spirit of God is moving and is telling you, hey, find out more about this. You need to ask a question. You need to come and do something. I don't know what it is. Maybe you need to come and make this your church home. That could be it. Maybe you just need to come and say, I need prayer. Will you pray with me? I would be honored to do that. I'm going to stand here for about a minute, and we're going to play a song, and we're all going to stand And as we do that, yeah, you can go ahead and do that. You can go ahead and stand. And as we stand, as we think about what's been spoken, I want you to think back to that little test that I had you perform. The people in this world that know you best, would they describe you as loving by saying you're patient and you're kind and you're not irritable and you rejoice in justice? Does that describe you? If not, then you need to know the author of love.